0: You're listening to the BCTLE Podcast, a resource made possible by the BD Center for Teaching and Learning Excellence at Taylor University. I'm your host, Timothy Berkey. You're listening to a special episode of the BCTLE Podcast an episode that I wish didn't feel so urgent, as we as a community seek to support one another following the death of a student on campus. This is content that none of us want to become experts in because it requires experience, and the experience is really hard. When I first learned of Connor's passing, one of the first few thoughts that I had was how do I best support students through this experience? And I realized very quickly that I had never thought very intentionally about how to respond and how to support students experiencing communal grief. And one of my very next thoughts was, um, I bet I'm not alone in this. Um, And so I started to reach out to some people, and I was reminded that Uh, We are not alone. Um, The Father is close to those who mourn, close to the brokenhearted. And as I reached out to a pastor friend of mine to make connections uh, with someone who had experience and some expertise in this area, the Spirit guided those connections. um, And uh, later on uh, that day, um, on Wednesday afternoon, I got an email From a familiar name, uh, who had heard from someone that had heard from a friend, who had heard from a pastor saying um, that I was looking for someone to talk to. Uh, It's a name that many of you will recognize um, as a longtime member of the Taylor community, as um, a member of the community who was here as a student, as faculty, as staff, and as a parent. Uh, a parent with two Taylor students, um, the parent of a Taylor student who passed away on campus. I heard from Shonda Freer that afternoon, and her desire to support uh, those of us who want to support our students came through loud and clear. And very quickly, we were sitting across a table from one another considering how we might best support our students. Now, most episodes of the BCTLE podcast, I tell you how excited I am to invite you into my conversation with our guest. And I am glad that I get to invite you into this conversation. It's a conversation that is challenging, but as Shonda reminds us, it is not a conversation without hope. So with that in mind... I'd like to invite you into my conversation with Shonda Freer. Well, Shonda, welcome to the BCTLE podcast. It's great to have you back on campus today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Uh,
0: now, the context of our conversation um, is one of those resources that um, very few faculty um, look forward to learning uh, because it's typically coming about in a moment of critical need. Uh, Very few of us are prepared well in advance for um, supporting grieving students. Um, It's usually the sort of thing that when something happens, we recognize, oh, there's a really big gap between what my students need or what I think my students need and where I'm at. Um, So hopefully our conversation today plugs that gap, uh, a little bit, um, listeners to the podcast, uh, might go, Oh, I recognize that name. Mm-hmm. So what's mm-hmm. your connection to Taylor?
1: Um, first of all, I'm a Taylor grad, a Taylor alum, which is so fun to come on campus today and see homecoming, you know, mm-hmm. starting. Uh, so graduated in 91 from Taylor and then came back to Taylor as a faculty member in 2005. So I was here for 15 years, um, started in student development and wore different hats mm-hmm. there. And then tr- about seven years into that transferred over to the academic enrichment center. Um, but all through those 15 years, uh, organized and executed Welcome Weekend and handled what was a new student ori- orientation class, became first-year experience class, morphed into foundation, mm-hmm. you know, so all those things. Um, so I was heavily involved in welcoming students to campus and walking them through that first semester of transition. Um, and then beyond that, you know, there were other roles involved uh, for academic support and... And student development support, really.
0: Yeah. So a long history with Taylor.
1: A long history with Taylor. And I'll say, too, both of our kids went here. Okay. Um, And so um, our our daughter started in 2015 Mm -hmm. as a freshman. Uh, The week before finals of her junior year, she died by suicide. So she was a student on campus who passed away during her time at Taylor. And then our son, Andrew, he would have started in 2017. Mm. And he graduated in three years, one of those. Um, And so he's been out now since spring of 2020. So also the hat of a Taylor parent and the hat of a Taylor grieving mom. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned your daughter, Megan. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, So talk a little bit in addition to some firsthand, uh, some unfortunate Mm -hmm. firsthand experience. Mm -hmm. What is your connection to sort of the space of supporting Mm -hmm. students or grieving students Mm -hmm. or counseling students?
1: Sure. Well, and I guess I should say, too, my background was psych and counseling prior to coming to Taylor. So I had that in my wheelhouse. Um, After Megan passed away, and that was May, of course, Mm -hmm. so we only had a week left of Classes. Um, I really wrestled as a mom of as to whether I was going to be able to return in the fall and how was I going to handle the volume of students with a new freshman class and and so forth. Um, and that would have been the start of our son's freshman or I'm um, so- sophomore year. <laughs> and so part of it was m- the mother in me that said, if our son's going back on campus, I'm going to go too. Um, you know, we're going to face this and do this together. I had a wonderful group of student leaders that I had relationships with Mm -hmm. from the spring. So honestly, they and faculty and staff colleagues uh, held my hand through that. And there were days that I cried before a class, you know, Mm -hmm. anticipating uh, what was ahead. Mm -hmm. Um, But the joy in that was that would have been our daughter's senior year. Mm -hmm. And I knew her friends were here. Who were also grieving, you know, because of the timing of it in May, we only had a week to process that together, and that was finals week. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, coming back in the fall, there was some processing that needed to do. So, I spent a lot of that first year meeting with students who either knew me and my story, or knew our daughter and some of her story, knew our son and how to were wondering how to help him, and. It was a lot of informal counseling in my office that year, but that helped, I believe, helped all of us process. Sure. And then I had my own colleague, friends, and family who were trying to process things. Because we had been part of the Taylor community for so long, um, and faculty and staff will recognize this, if you've raised kids around Upland, I mean, our kids were six and eight when we moved here. Mm-hmm. So people knew them. They yeah. loved them. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was there was – a significant piece of grief, but then, you know, personal grief, but then there was also, how do I help a student mm-hmm. that's dealing with her loss and trying to interact with me? Right.
0: <laughs> so, right. And now you facilitate a uh, mm-hmm. grief share at that's right. UCC. Mm-hmm. Right? That's
1: right. So because of my counseling background, I just kind of naturally gravitated towards grief and hurting people anyway. Um, out of our own personal loss, that just became much more of a focus. I actually left Taylor and went into outpatient counseling for another year, mm. and that and uh, started a grief ministry for bereaved moms. We mm. do weekend retreats. Started leading. I attended a grief share group, um, mm. and then ended up becoming a leader of grief share. So grief has become a focus mm. of what probably was already in a wheelhouse of, psych and counseling, yeah. um, but that's just how personal experience. Well,
0: that is a really good sort of bridge into what we're talking about Mm -hmm. today on the episode Mm -hmm. and this idea of grief. (laughs) Um, I think lots of us Mm -hmm. um, have um, a cultural awareness of grief. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I can think of, you know, from the the dumbed-down versions that you might see on like mm-hmm. The Simpsons of the five stages mm-hmm. of grief mm-hmm. um, to um, you know uh, reality TV of people talking about mm-hmm. going to counseling mm-hmm. and, and experiencing grief. Mm-hmm. But I, I wonder, uh, what are some of the common misconceptions mm-hmm. um, that even those of us here at Taylor might have uh, about grief?
1: Sure, and that's a good question. Um, and again, I don't know where everybody's coming from and where everyone's frame of reference is, but just so everybody is on the same page, those five stages of grief originated out of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. If you've had any psych class anywhere, you're going to hear that yeah. name. Um, but her five stages of grief were really five stages of dying. It, they, they've been applied broadly to grief, and they were—she originally worked with terminally ill patients, and it was the five stages of dying. So just— know that that could be a misconception yeah. right there. Um there's a man named David Kessler who worked with her. He's a grief expert. You'll find him Google his name. Yeah. Um he runs a he's a grief expert nationally well known now. Uh also lost a son yeah. not in the not too recent past, but he expanded on her five stages of grief and added a sixth stage that he calls finding meaning. So I find that helpful. Um, So the five stages that we're referencing are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And then he would add finding meaning to that. Um, But a misconception is one, I guess a misconception is those are five stages of grief when they were really five stages of dying. But um, one is everybody will go through those stages. We need to go. A, a grieving person should or needs to go through all five stages to fill in the blank, heal, you know, mm. recover. What you know, whatever the that word is for you, um, or that those stages are linear and orderly and predictable. Those are all misconceptions. The best analogy I have for grief and the emotions around grief is a tangled ball of yarn, and you're you really don't sort that out. You can experience any of those things at any given time and a myriad of other emotions Mm -hmm. that aren't included in these stages. Um, So I think that's one of those uh, misconceptions that those are um, predictable, orderly stages that everybody needs to go through. Uh, I also think a misconception is that grief will surface in the first days or weeks for most people. Um, I don't know that that's necessarily true. And it With traumatic death, I mean, you have to think about traumatic or sudden death, Mm -hmm. which really all sudden death has a level of trauma Mm -hmm. um, versus anticipatory death. And again, not that anticipatory death can't have pieces of trauma in them, but there is a little more time for the mind to catch up to or maybe the emotions to catch up to what we already cognitively know when we're anticipating a death. Mm -hmm. Um, So it can be it's really a trauma reaction that if we're not, if someone isn't experiencing what we perceive to be grief in the first days or weeks, it simply may be a trauma reaction that a person is, it's shock, you mm-hmm. know, still trying to deal with absorbing this cognitively. We have to absorb it cognitively before we can handle the emotion of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a, that's a misconception. Uh, another one is friends and family will grieve a person similarly. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we may say this student who died, the guys on his wing, you know, these were the five guys closest to him. Mm. So we would expect them to all grieve similarly. Then there's another layer of they knew him somewhat or they didn't know him. So even we categorize that as this is, you know, they're going to grieve more severely. They're going to grieve less severely. Mm. That Grief is as unique as the person and as unique as the relationship, Mm. Um, even within a family losing someone you know mom's gonna grieve differently dad's gonna grieve differently each sibling's gonna grieve differently grandpa's gonna grieve differently than grandma you know it's as different as the experience um a lot of the listeners are gonna be familiar with nicholas wolterstorff a philosopher used to be out of calvin um he lost a son 20 some years ago maybe 30 now wrote a book called Lament for a Son, but he writes about inscape, and he's talking about each one of us have Mm. just this unique, it's God-given design, Mm. and that we relate to one another out of our inscape, and when that inscape is absent, that is an absence that only that person can fill, and that's... um, I think the misconception would be somehow there's more similarity. Mm-hmm. Um, where that leaves us then is grief can be very lonely because you really are mm-hmm. only grieving the person that you knew and that relationship and interaction with that person. Right. So, right. And then I think another misconception is grief is something to get over um, or recover from or heal from. Um, and that language just gets really hard. I think it implies there's an ending. I think it adds pressure to grieving friends and family to hurry up and get back to normal, Mm -hmm. whatever normal is. Um, I found the terms move forward or integrating the loss Mm -hmm. was much more helpful. Mm -hmm. That didn't imply I was leaving something behind or someone behind that I could take this loss and this pain and somehow, um, still function well and live well within the the loss. Um, And there's nothing magical about the first year. You know, I think we sometimes give grace to those that are grieving. Oh, yeah, the first year is always hard. Mm -hmm. Well, sometimes the second year is harder than the first. Again, it's just unique. Um, And that someone wouldn't be grieving the rest of their life. Right. Um, Doesn't mean they're in debilitating, non-functioning grief. Mm -hmm. Uh, It'll look different, but... Mm. Yeah, those are those are some things that came to mind.
0: The number of times as you're sharing some of those misconceptions, I go, oh, shoot. I think I've thought Uh that Uh before. Um, Even the language of normal and healing. Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. You know, I think that we would all hope that those of us who grieve are able to get to a point where we. We feel that we can function during the day. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that is a healthy goal. Mm -hmm. But even some of the other goals of getting back to normal Mm -hmm. or uh, healing, Mm -hmm. are those necessarily the goals of grieving? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, one of the things we didn't mention is uh, remembering Mm -hmm. or memorializing Mm -hmm. um, as... um, one of the things that we might grieve in order to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we don't think of that as an appropriate goal out mm-hmm. of grief, then mm-hmm. then we might leave some people behind who, uh, as you say, they come to we all come to grief differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, no matter uh, who or what we're grieving as identical or similar as it might be mm-hmm. to one another. Mm-hmm. we're gonna we're gonna come to to grief differently. Mm-hmm. Um, And this idea that grief's not linear, um, is that this idea that we might go from, you know, stage one to Mm -hmm. stage three? Mm -hmm. Or is that this idea that we might go from stage one to stage two to stage one to stage two to stage one one again before?
1: Either. And I would almost say just don't be tied to stages. You may experience none of those stages, really. You Mm -hmm. know, Um, I think sometimes that becomes an identity or or Mm. a marker of you know, here's how well they're doing or how mm-hmm. n- not well they're doing. Um, yeah. how,
0: how close are they to getting back to work and normal? Well, they're stage mm-hmm. four. Right. That's mm-hmm. not right. how we should be thinking about grief. Correct.
1: Right. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, so we've, we've uh, tangled up grief mm-hmm. a little bit mm-hmm. for us because we're not going to mm-hmm. untangle it. Mm-hmm. How does... Communal grief, mm-hmm. community grief. Mm-hmm. How does that differ from individual grief?
1: It's mm-hmm. a great question, especially given this um, setting. Mm-hmm. Um, community. I mean, it's it's a simple definition. It's definitely not a simple practice. Um, you know, community def, community grief is simply that a community is grieving a similar loss, um, mm-hmm. and and or doing it together. You know, mm-hmm. having experienced a shared loss and grieving together. Um, And, of course, individual grief is how we we internalize that individually or process that individually. So, obviously, the death of a student on Taylor's campus is going to yield community grieving. Um, I think something that is helpful in this conversation might be to distinguish between grief and mourning. Um, And, again, Mm -hmm. I don't want to be insulting to those that may already know this, but grief is... The constellation of internal thoughts and feelings that we have when somebody dies. So anybody that we ever loved, if we've loved someone else, we will experience some level of grief, some internal ideas and feelings and experiences when that person dies. Um, But mourning is the outward expression of grief. So to process grief in a healthy way, we have to mourn. we can't hold all of that, inter- those internal feelings in. Somewhere we have to have an outward expression of grief. Um, and both grief and mourning can occur at the community and individual levels. And I think that difference is mostly noted in the expressions of mourning. So Taylor is such a special community, and we act, we do this so well. You know, we respond to crises well. We mourn well together. Um, and i think i've already seen or heard and this is my was my experience in the years i was here there'll be chapels there'll be prayer vigils there'll be things happening in the residence halls to remember Mm -hmm. to process to express um small group gatherings discussions in classes some of those will be structured some will be informal um memorial services those are all forms of community grieving now or community mourning can we do that individually of course you know um but if we've experienced a shared loss, then it makes sense to do that in community, of course. Mm-hmm.
0: It seems to me that <clears throat> the community has some shared language mm-hmm. that we can mm-hmm. draw on mm-hmm. in these moments mm-hmm. um, you know, in my discipline in communication, when we talk about messages of support mm-hmm. and other-centeredness, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that I keep thinking about is this community-centeredness, this mm-hmm. relationship-centeredness mm-hmm. of our support messages. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, is that um, is that helpful in the in these spaces to to come back to the community as a source of support versus um, you know what we might otherwise see as more individual sources of support you know I'm here for you versus mm-hmm. you know we the the mm-hmm. I versus the we mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about how we as as faculty offer support to students sure. who are experiencing grief mm-hmm. um, or faculty mm-hmm. I don't want to um, reduce, um, the grief that a community might feel, either in this specific situation or in other situations mm-hmm. too, mm-hmm. this is something students alone feel. Sure, uh, but is that piece of the puzzle important here as we think about how we're supporting um, the community and drawing messages of support back to the we versus the the I?
1: I think absolutely. I think it's both, and you know, um, and again. Community is a hallmark of Taylor for a reason. We do it well. Um, it's very organic, and it represents Christ. It represents a triune God uh, in community. And so if we're reflecting the image of God, of course, uh, if, we're, if we're working and supporting one another in community, I want to believe that that's a expression of how we were designed and reflecting God himself. Um, we're better together. But... At the same time, we have to process some things individually. Mm -hmm. Now, we could argue that's also in community while we're processing that alone with a triune God. Mm -hmm. um, There's still a communal aspect to that. But I do think the more we gather around one another and know that we're not alone, um, support is almost always... I want to say always. Mm-hmm. healthy, you know, it's helpful. right.
0: Yeah. Well, I, and I know why we can't quite say always because mm-hmm. there are some things that we do mm-hmm. that we think are mm-hmm. going to be helpful That's right that aren't helpful. Right. So what are some mm-hmm. things yeah. as um, mm-hmm. as faculty support students mm-hmm. through community grief? Mm-hmm. What are some things that we, uh, we might do or say that we mm-hmm. m- we think are helpful, mm-hmm. but might actually be hurtful.
1: Sure, I love this question and idea. I have talked about this for mm-hmm. the last several years, many times, and I do have to give credit to uh, an author and a book that, if you don't have it, go get it. Um, Nancy Guthrie, and it's called um, "What Grieving People Wish You Knew." What I think it's "What Helps and What Hurts" or something to that effect, but "What Grieving People Wish You Knew." Um, And my—we were probably, I don't know, a few weeks into our grief, Mm -hmm. and my sister said, hey, I'm reading a book, and it happened to be that book, and she said, would you please read it and tell me from it what's helpful to you? Mm. And what an invitation, you know, just to say, I I want to be helpful, um, but honestly— because as in any book or talking to anyone, it's unique, you know, what may be helpful to one person isn't helpful to another. And I remember an example from that book that, you know, uh, some person uh, was given a plant and found or, you know, plant a tree or something. And they found that to be very exhausting and uh, not helpful because they had spent the last year caregiving. So it was one more thing to take care of that Uh. might die. Where another person, well, and I found plants and gardening, and that was very therapeutic and very Mm -hmm. healthy because I was cultivating life. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what might work for one person may not work for another. So back to your question, what helps and what doesn't help? Um, I would say something that is not helpful is to say nothing. And I think sometimes because we're so careful um, and so concerned that we'll say the wrong thing, then we say nothing out of our own insecurity or just Mm We think, I don't want to do harm, so I'm not going to do anything. (laughs) Um, Nancy Guthrie did a survey, and if you don't know about her, you can go read about her too, but she also has a history with helping people who are hurting in grief. Um, She did a survey of grieving people, and one of the top things that came through is I want people to come alongside me and just listen Just say something. And I'll tell you what, and again, this community does it so well. The people here that said, I don't know what to say, or there are no words, but I'm here. um, I think that's our bent. Our bent is to do something, to fix a problem, to reduce pain, reduce sadness. That all seems to require we have to do something. And the doing is the being. It's being present. It's coming alongside. It's saying very few words. Mm-hmm. Um, how that plays out in a situation like this is going to be, f- you know, talking about the student, using the student's name, mm-hmm. um, asking what's helpful um, for you to process your grief. Um, Re- yeah.
0: It reminds me of a, a story that... Um, and I don't remember now where I heard it. Um, but it was um story told from um the perspective of a parent who, mm-hmm. whose child had passed mm-hmm. away mm-hmm. unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. Um and the parent, um, this was years later, mm-hmm. um, was being interviewed or, or maybe were writing in a book, um, this idea that um so many of their friends and even family members, mm-hmm. um deeply cared for Mm -hmm. this parent Mm -hmm. and didn't want to cause sadness Mm -hmm. and and hurt. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that they didn't do is they they never talked about the Mm -hmm. child. Mm -hmm. And the parent talked about how it's almost like everyone forgot. Mm -hmm. Right. And in the attempt to do something really honoring it, it, It missed the mark Mm -hmm. in that. Mm -hmm. So this idea of coming alongside and listening Mm -hmm. um, seems really important and something Mm -hmm. that those of us who who might not have experienced Mm -hmm. a grief like maybe Mm -hmm. some of our students might be going through, Mm -hmm. uh, it it just might not click for us. Mm -hmm. We might think, well, let's... I don't want to do something that's going to make it worse that's right
1: mm-hmm. and
0: so we don't do anything
1: you're right yeah right no I understand and I, I agree with you that that's the that's another misperception or misconception but I would say from my own experience from all the people that I've spoken to and we've got research that shows mm. we need to talk about the grieving person and that is something I think you know even as a community we can do and mm. um, like I said earlier, grief's lonely. When we bring up a person who has passed away, mm-hmm. we aren't reminding anyone of their... Yeah, of we, we already remember. Yes, yes. Yeah. And I think it was Nancy Guthrie that said, you know, the, the per." when we are grieving a person that's running in the background of our mind all the time, you know, now sometimes, and I would say the, the longer that time passes that runs quieter, you know, the hum is quieter. Mm -hmm. It's always there. Um, and so if you say Megan, you just brought it to the surface, I might tear up, Mm -hmm. but you didn't make me sad. That's Mm -hmm. been there. In Mm -hmm. fact, if anything, that may help release some tears and tears help wash away pain. That's Mm -hmm. okay. Mm -hmm. You know, um, so, yes, talk, 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 maybe listen, 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 let the other person <laughs> talk, 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 but don't be afraid to bring it up. Um, and just you, the scripture, weep with those who weep, mm-hmm. that just comes to mind. Wolterstorff also talks about the morning bench. You know, and you, I picture a, a cement bench out in a cemetery and, you know, a lonely grieving person is there visiting this grave and someone just slips alongside and sits beside them. Mm. Doesn't say anything, maybe, you know, holds their hand and just sits, mm. just be. It's hard for us to be. Um, it's hard for some of us to enter someone else's pain. Right. You know, we have to carry that and enter somebody else's burden. Um, another thing that isn't helpful is to share either your own personal story or I knew so-and-so, you know, to compare losses. This is not the time for that. Mm -hmm. Um, And that came out repeatedly in the survey that Guthrie did, that it's just, um, one, the grieving person can't process somebody else's pain. Mm -hmm. They're trying to figure out how to absorb and shoulder their own pain. Mm -hmm. Um, It may be helpful way down the line. Mm -hmm. Um, But right now, that's just, it's not the time. Mm -hmm. So... uh, And again, trying to offer suggestions to do something, you know, Mm -hmm. well, maybe you just need to get out of bed or go take a walk or go, you know, Mm -hmm. honestly, let their therapist do that or somebody (laughs) later come along and help with that. Uh, In in the early grief, that isn't helpful. Mm -hmm. And I would say just use sensitivity and discernment when reciting scripture, talking about heaven. We'll get to that in a little bit too. Um, Can be very helpful and you just have, you just have to kind of, I, I would say you have you just really have to use your discernment. The Holy Spirit has to guide that. Um, mm-hmm. We had people even at the visitation handing us scripture. And for me, that was very helpful. For other people, that may not have been helpful. Right. Right. So, um, And then the, the phrase, let me know if you need anything, it's not helpful. Right. I appreciate the sentiment. Mm-hmm. It wasn't harmful, but honestly, that meant nothing. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I can't think what I need today, let alone to tell you what I need. You right. know. But the person who called me and said, I'm bringing supper tonight. Mm-hmm. I'll be there in a half an hour. Mm-hmm. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, good. I don't have to think about that right. need. You right. know. Now, how that plays out here may be different, but with mm-hmm. faculty of students, mm-hmm. I know I said that many times to students, let me know if yeah. you need anything. They may not be able to tell you what they right. need.
0: I think it's Sheryl Sandberg who writes um, wrote the book Lean In, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Who who then wrote another book about grief Mm -hmm. after her husband Mm -hmm. died, Mm -hmm. and one of the things that she talks about in that book is that um, she was she felt really lonely at the hospital Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. um, everyone thought well we're not that close it would be it'd be strange if i came to the hospital and everyone thought someone else was going to be there and it was the it was the person who showed up that she wasn't particularly deep close friends with but someone showed up and and didn't assume that somebody else was going to and it's that same idea of, uh, let me know what you need um assumes the person knows what they need uh, but it also it, um that's one of those examples of a. Uh, 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 a message of support that's actually more centered on me, the giver, than yeah. the person receiving. Yeah. Um, when I say, l- let me know what you need, mm-hmm. um, that's taking a burden off of myself mm-hmm. to to mm-hmm. think through those pieces. Yeah. Um, and it's giving you a task. Yep. Uh, and it's yep. a task you don't need right now. Yep. Yep. Um,
1: and I will say about the showing up, the, yeah. y- the example yeah. you just gave, at least in our situation, and I think most, I think most, People. Well, I don't know if I can speak for most, but it seems to me, I never felt like, why in the world are they here? Mm-hmm. It was always like, wow, they came. Mm-hmm. At wow, they're here. You know. And the people that stuck close to us for mm-hmm. a long time, it was a long haul. Mm-hmm. Um, that I re- I remember every interaction. I remember right. everyone. Just because the
0: relationship them. hasn't been especially close or deep, leading up to the grief, mm-hmm. doesn't mean that you're not welcome into that space right. or that the relationship wouldn't be valuable. I I think there are very few of us who think I've got enough really close people who care deeply about me. I think most of us would say, I wouldn't mind another. That's right. right? And
1: the reality is, again, we go back to community and shouldering each mm-hmm. other's burdens. If 10 people are doing that instead of just two or three, that does right. help share a burden, you know, uh, and that's okay. Yeah.
0: Let's talk really practical. Mm-hmm. Um, should I cancel class?
1: Mm-hmm. I think you have to be. It's it's just very sensitive to. I think every faculty member is going to have to be sensitive to the needs in the room. Okay. Um, you know, you got a class of eight or ten students that knew this student. That's a di- that's different than the class of sixty mm-hmm. that one or two students may have known that student. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. Again, I'm not sure what's gone out um, from uh, administrators. But if you're a faculty member that doesn't know this, you can always go to Student Development, mm. and and they will help you with you know what wing or floor was this student on, who are the students who are most impacted by mm. this, um, and just tap into Res Life and Student Development for a little bit more insight mm. into who you might need to look out for. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that information does get generated eventually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think we're going to all be focused on which students, and I don't want to discount faculty. The student was in faculty members' classrooms. Um, And so, or, you know, teams or clubs or other other areas on campus that the student may have been involved So who's most impacted by the death and who's, you know, where would we expect kind of that central Mm -hmm. group of of grieving? But don't assume that only students that were close to or knew the situation are the only ones grieving. Sometimes it was a student who never knew this other student, but the thought of or the knowledge of a death on campus has Mm -hmm. triggered another memory of another loss in Mm -hmm. their life or... um, or it might Just be the an fir- awareness of you know, mortality.
0: It might be yeah. the first time that yeah. a student has experienced that I mean That's
1: right.
0: um, I, I went to I went to college I went to grad school <laughs> with all four grandparents still <laughs> living <laughs> um, and very little close, Personal. I had a cousin who passed away when I was very young. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't uh, something right. that I had experienced as right. a mm-hmm. as a young as adult. Young adult. Mm-hmm. And so, whether it's experiencing or or thinking about this for the first time, or it's like you say, triggering mm-hmm. some some other grief that mm-hmm. hasn't been. Uh, hasn't been made sense of, um, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe we're, we're, we have camped out in the denial stage or we've camped out Mm -hmm. in the depression Mm -hmm. stage that can, Mm -hmm. that can trigger Mm -hmm. something, even if we weren't particularly close. So, Mm -hmm. so having the grace and understanding Mm -hmm. that, you know, it might seem to come out of nowhere, Mm
1: -hmm. um, in a form of student care. And for all the years i was here at Taylor. Those were, you know, the areas that I worked in. Those were the, that's the wheelhouse I come from. Mm -hmm. Um, It wouldn't matter to me if I had eight students or 60 students, if I could, I would want to meet individually with each student and say, how has this impacted you Mm -hmm. now? Practically, can we do that? You know? Um, So what might be some alternatives to that? Um, And these are again, Things I know other faculty do, and I benefited from these ideas through B.C. Talley or otherwise, Um, but uh, maybe it's a short written reflection. Maybe it's an index card at, you know, one minute prompt at the end of a class or the beginning of a class that says, whatever you feel like you would be willing to share with me about how this has impacted you this week, you Mm -hmm. know, or where are you right now? Or what would you like me to know about how you're feeling? And feel free to pass. Mm. Or not participate, you know. But if you would like me to know something about this, then you know, please write it on the card and we'll hold it confidentially. And Mm -hmm. um, if you'd like me to meet individually with you can indicate that on the card. I mean, those would be ways to do it a little more passively Mm -hmm. um, and not have to have 60 appointments next (laughs) week. (laughs) Um, So that might be a a good way to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing too, I think uh, that became that helpful language instead of how are you is how's your grief. And again, Mm -hmm. you're going to have to Sort through who are the students that are going to have a grief response. Right, right. Um, how are you is too broad. Mm-hmm. I'm th- I have to do a mental gymnastic what are you talking about? Are you talking about how my day was and what I had for lunch? Or are mm-hmm. you talking about how's my grief? Right. So just to be pointed, how how how's your grief or how are your grief? How's your grief these days? That can be helpful language. Mm-hmm. Maybe not right now. Maybe that'll be in a few weeks. Sure. Um, allowing space and time for sadness. We talked about that and and. Using the deceased person's name, if you know that you have a student who was close to this student, then Mm. just continue to talk about that student and any specific. If you had that student, if you had both students in class, Mm. you can talk about the memories. If you had the student in class, maybe the class is able to process together for Mm. a few minutes or a whole class time. Um, That is not wasted time. Mm. If you put if you put away a lesson or have to skip a lesson for the whole semester, that is time you will never get back. Mm-hmm. Um, and the student will, students will know you care. Right, That's, It's valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, and ask the person, what's, what would be helpful to you this week? Mm-hmm. Would it be helpful to you to delay doing an assignment? Would it be helpful for me to you know, postpone a test? Would you like an alternative assignment? We have so many alternative ways. And if you don't know what those are, or don't know how to do that, yep. go talk to the AEC and they'll help you figure that out. You know, there there comes a point in a semester. And where are we in the semester? Midterm, just, just finished midterms. Mid-term. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I get that. We understand we're getting mm-hmm. close to we can't really just check out for the semester. There's work that has to be finished. But there are mechanisms for incompletes mm-hmm. and finishing things and alternative assignments for those that really need it.
0: Well, in that point of um, if, a, if a lesson is lost in the mm-hmm. semester, but mm-hmm. we do this meaningful mm-hmm. work. I mean, one of our anchor points is that we're whole person That's focused. Right. We're not mm-hmm. just, I mean, you're in my class, mm-hmm. you're studying communication. Mm-hmm. We're studying writing maybe, mm-hmm. but, you know, there are more important things than just that. Mm-hmm. And and if it means we set that aside for a moment to have this mm-hmm. conversation, I've always been impressed with Taylor mm-hmm. as a community mm-hmm. that when something when that we recognize that there are things that are more important than, than what we're doing mm-hmm. in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's being present in the moment that's more important than mm-hmm. what we were doing mm-hmm. before.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, any other practical yeah. ideas of, of what we might do to support students?
1: I think, it's, I think it's saying yes as much as you can, not saying no for no sake or, you know again, the rigidity of this is how we do it or I can't deter from that, just yeah. to help them. How can I best help them? There will come a time, and I can't say when that would be, mm-hmm. maybe it's next semester if a student still has not processed mm-hmm. this well and is asked, still asking for extensions, then maybe there's a time for a different conversation. Um,
0: because at that point, it isn't even just about the class. If a year from now, if a student is still experiencing mm-hmm. that level of intensity mm-hmm. in their grief. That's right.
1: Then that calls for different resources we, and supports. There's a
0: different intervention mm-hmm. that right. needs to happen That's right. as a community, That's right? right? Yep. It isn't just about, well, the deadline is this and you should be back. It Well, I'm concerned about the student, right? That's right.
1: But when we're talking about October 20th to second week of December that's not very many more weeks especially and we've got holidays in there too especially for someone that this is has deeply impacted Mm -hmm. you know there isn't gonna be yeah Mm -hmm. there needs to be some space and grace for some alternative things Mm -hmm. but it's listening being available being the professor that cares Mm -hmm. that they know that they can Mm -hmm. come to at any time you know and say I Maybe, maybe, maybe they're doing okay for yeah. the next two or three weeks yeah. and then be, they go home for Thanksgiving yeah. and have some downtime and that.
0: Some family time. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And that stirs up some things, mm-hmm. you know, just to be prepared for that.
0: Yeah. So, uh, when, uh, my grandfather died, mm-hmm. he's, he worked his entire life, um, Uh, when I spoke at his funeral, I referenced, um, his hands because they were so callous Mm -hmm. and he had lost fingers throughout his life. He just worked all (laughs) the time. I remember, um, the night, uh, he passed away. My sister called me and we were just chatting with one another and he had been sick for a while. And one of the things that, um, one of us asked the other, you know, um, what are you doing tomorrow? What's Mm -hmm. your plan for tomorrow? And I forget who said it, but I'm gonna give credit to my sister because she's a writer and she she has a, a way with words. She said, "I think the best thing I could do to honor him would be to go to work tomorrow." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's that idea of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maintaining normalcy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that there, um, those of us who have experienced grief, mm-hmm. um, who maybe are slightly further in our uh, careers mm-hmm. or uh, development might might recognize the value of it's important to grief, but it's also mm-hmm. important for mm-hmm. us to to keep moving. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we balance this idea of maintaining normalcy mm-hmm. uh, in a healthy way? I think how do we balance that, uh, or how do we distinguish that rather mm-hmm. from uh, avoidance mm-hmm. or denial?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, I have several thoughts. One is what what seemed like regular routines and rhythms prior to the death. It doesn't mean we have to go back to those exclusively, but it certainly would be helpful if we can. Regain some footing in some of those rhythms and areas Mm -hmm. Um, for really for some grounding, some um, sense of routine, some sense of familiarity. Because grief leads grief leaves us with chaos and disorientation, even if it's momentary. That's I'm not sure it ever is, but even if it's for a brief period. So, what can we do to at least Absorb the chaos and reorient. And it's not the time to learn something brand new in those. You know, so we go back to what we know. So what do we know? You know, were we regularly exercising? Well, can you can you resume that to a, to even a small degree? If you if you ran five miles and you don't feel like running five miles, can you run a mile? You know, what can you do? That's a little bit. So for students going to class, maybe maybe you don't go to all your classes this week, but maybe you go four days a week instead, you know? So I would say, can we get back to some of our routines? And that actually is helpful because we don't have to th- think about that then. Those are just routines that we, you know, as we're brushing our teeth, we're not thinking about brushing our teeth. You've been doing daily routines that you're not really thinking about. And that will help. That helps the brain and that the brain-body connection. Um, and that will help. Um But your question is about normalcy and how do you distinguish that from denial and avoidance? And I think really it's giving room for that uniqueness and grieving, not rushing Mm. the timetable. But in counseling world, it's always, is this causing distress or malfunctioning? You know, so denial and avoidance would be, where's the distress? Is the student who was coming to class and able to function a week ago now staying in their dorm room and not going to any classes Okay, well, then the question is, well, that's distress. That's not functioning in a way they were before, but can we rush them in that? You know, what's, what's the normal time frame then that we should allow that? Um, and that's, that just takes sensitivity. That takes people that knows that student uh, may involve having parents involved to help, support, and, you know, how are they – how can we help you cope at that point, maybe getting the counseling center involved? And again, it's not to rush that student. They may need more space and time, um, but I would just continue to encourage the student to, can you do one thing today that looks more like your routines did a week ago um, You know, or graduate that You know, to some level? Um, denial and avoidance, I think, would be if a student is completely like we would, for all practical purposes, we'd have every reason to believe that they were impacted by mm-hmm. this, but they're unwilling to talk about it if and when provided with someone that mm-hmm. should, that typically they would have seen as trustworthy yeah. to share it with. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, do we rush that this week, next week, a month from now may just be shock. Maybe they just can't yet, but um, you you know your students, you know what's, what's, healthy and what's not healthy and when it begins to look across the line into unhealthy behaviors over a period of time and really again in counseling world that's two weeks in grief world two weeks isn't very long so use your best judgment and if you need professional <laughs> guidance in that contact the counseling yeah, center professional yeah, guidance, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: well and i think there's a recurring theme that um maybe our listeners are going well wake up Berkey but it's that this idea of <coughs> time mm-hmm. and uh, there's this um, you know this epicenter of time mm-hmm. from from the moment the community becomes aware mm-hmm. but then the space in between those ripples mm-hmm. can be really vast mm-hmm. at times mm-hmm. and so we we a student might be in one of those really vast ripples mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. they're not really processing or experiencing that grief mm-hmm. at that moment, mm-hmm. whereas other students might be feeling it more acutely. Mm-hmm. And so knowing, I think that's the benefit of Taylor, really, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We know our students right. and we we take time to ask those questions mm-hmm. um, to, to see where our students are at. Mm-hmm. Um, so recognizing, you know, in the next three or four weeks, our students mm-hmm. who m- we might expect to see grief mm-hmm. might be feeling very different things, mm-hmm. might be expressing it differently, mm-hmm. w- will be expe- mm-hmm. expressing mm-hmm. it differently, right? Mm-hmm. If that idea mm-hmm. would come to it differently. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> Shauna, thanks for for helping us think through how we... Do this. One of the red threads that we've been talking about in just our conversation, mm-hmm. but is also one of the red threads of this podcast is how does how does uh, an integrated life a faith, mm-hmm. faithfully integrated mm-hmm. life, how does it differ? Mm-hmm. You know, when we talk to faculty, we talk about it in the sense of what does this look like in your classroom? Um, when we talk to um, someone in athletics or alumni, we we talk about it in that context. Mm-hmm. But. For us, you know, um, on Wednesday, um, I think it was Dr. Lindsay uh, mentioned that this idea: uh, we do not grieve as those who have no hope.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, how how does a faith based perspective differ mm-hmm. when it comes to grief?
1: Absolutely, and I'm so glad that you asked that. I'm I'm pulling up that passage because I wanted to reference that too. It's in First Thessalonians, and it's four. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That was a passage that I clung to, and it was that first verse, we do not want you to be uninformed so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. So that implies, well, maybe not even implies, it states there is a difference in those who have hope and those who don't have hope. Well, what's our hope? It's really who's our hope. Jesus Christ is our hope. Um, I think sometimes we use this term, our faith, and that's still very Um, self-centered. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. So if we can concentrate on the person and the work of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is why we have eternal life. That is that is the he's the avenue to eternal life and that's the hope we have. We have the hope of death will be no more. Mm-hmm. Death it I mean we go back to the fall and the entrance of death into our world and um for those of us that have experienced the loss of a loved one and the absence of a loved one, the reason Jesus came was to overcome death. It's that serious. Um, mm. And so I think when we realize that was the purpose of Jesus' sacrifice—to conquer sin and death—we um, we should feel awful at death. Um, it was not the way God created the world to be. It, death is the enemy. Um, and so the hope is that one day death will be no more and that while we wait for that day, um, we have eternal hope for ourselves and our loved ones who are in Christ. Um, and that makes all the difference. If this world is all there is, then death is final. Death has a victory. Um, that's not true for the believer in Christ. Uh, death didn't win ultimately, and there's there's a victory outside and beyond, and there's hope of being reunited with our loved ones in the presence of Christ, and mm. that makes all the difference. Uh, I can't. I just can't imagine living with a significant loss with without that hope. Um,
0: is is. I'm processing something, mm-hmm. so I'm mm-hmm. going to ask a question, and mm-hmm. I don't know mm-hmm. how, where I land on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, is hope the antithesis of grief? Are they are they opposed? Can we can we hold hope and let's say depression? You know, as a as a uh, can we hold these two at things the same, to, at, the thing at, the, at the same time
1: Absolutely. I mean, the I think our Christian worldview is based on the paradox of many um, antithetical ideas and and experiences. And and I think that's, you know, once a person who is grieving, I would say a Christian who is grieving, can come to the point where they can hold sorrow and joy or— Hope and pain at the same time. That's very. There's there's familiarity. There's comfort in that, really, um, because then you don't have to have one without the other. The Christian existence is to hold all these things um, while we wait for Christ to perfect them all. Um, I do think pain and suffering. You know, there's something more when we're talking about the difference between a Christian perspective and a secular perspective. Um, I think a secular perspective is still about me. You know, it's going to be humanistic. How can I feel better? How can I stop this pain? A Christian perspective says we should expect pain and suffering, and that's part of the Christian life. And somehow there's a mystery in we are to share in the sufferings of Christ. Um, And I think the experiences shake—the way that plays out practically is— We either shake our fist at God. Why are you allowing, causing, you know, fill in the blank there, this pain? Or I understand that pain, it's a submission to pain will be part of this earthly life and let this shape me to be more like Christ while I wait for the hope of life with you and all things to be made new.
0: It's that willingness to accept that... um the the sorrow or grief that I'm receiving Mm -hmm. is in all of its mystery as Mm -hmm. much a gift uh, of Mm -hmm. our creation of Mm -hmm. our existence Mm -hmm. as our joy Mm -hmm. our our our, Mm -hmm. you know the things that we count as gifts
1: that's right right that's right but
0: we're we're not even in this this passage of we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Mm -hmm. It isn't saying that we don't grieve. That's right. It's saying that we don't grieve like those who have no hope. We do still grieve. That's
1: right. right? But there is a difference, and there should be a marked difference. It's the difference of Jesus' presence in our life. Yeah.
0: Well, Shonda, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, I hope that this is a resource beyond the immediate and the timely, Mm -hmm. um, but I also hope that it is timely Mm -hmm. uh, as we are wrestling with how best to support Mm -hmm. our students, Mm -hmm. support our community. Mm -hmm. Um, So thanks so much for being a part of the conversation today. Thank
1: you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks for being a part of the conversation. If you're looking for more ways to get connected to the podcast, you can always email bctlepodcast at taylor.edu. This podcast is a resource that's made possible by the Beattie Center for Teaching and Learning Excellence and is produced by Caroline Paschal. The mission of the BCTLE is to encourage and equip you, our faculty, in your calling as teachers, your care for students, and your designs for learning. We want you to know that we see what you do for your students and we appreciate everything that you do to create meaningful learning experiences for the whole person enrolled in your class. We hope that this podcast helps you make Monday just a little bit better.